like to begin with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He once said, We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose sight of infinite hope. As people of faith, it can be very hard for us to stay true to our beliefs when everything is going on around us in the world. Disappointments are all around, and we can often wonder if our faith even makes a difference. We will be looking at Mark chapter 12 this morning, and it's a story that kind of speaks to these themes. It's a story that's often referred to, as you see on your bulletin cover, as the widow's mite, M-I-T-E. Because a mite was a small coin that the widow tossed in the offering plate that day. But I propose to you this morning that we need to call this story the widow's mite, M-I-G-H-T. Because this widow showed great courage and above all, great faith in God. Despite the corrupt systems of her day, she continued to show faith. She accepted her finite disappointments but never lost sight of the infinite hope that she had in God. This is what we'll be talking about this morning, church, and I've titled this sermon, A Mighty Faith. Please pray with me. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips be acceptable to you, O God. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. In the fall of 2008, the state of Indiana launched a new automated program for its benefit services. This system was created so that things like Medicare and Medicaid and food stamps would now be operated by a computer. The computer would look at a list of different factors in each person's application and then make an automated determination about that person's eligibility for these government benefits. Now, the politicians in Indiana said that they were implementing the system in order to streamline the process and in hopes of cutting down on wasteful government spending. That's what they said. But as you and I both know, whenever these types of new systems go into effect, Oftentimes, it's the most vulnerable people in society who end up on the short end of the stick. Which brings me to the story of Omega Young. Omega was living in Indiana when this new automated system went into effect. At the time, she was battling cancer. And so she needed her benefits in order to help pay for medications and operations and treatments. However, the system... This new automated system saw something in her paperwork that it didn't like, and so Omega's application to her benefits was denied. She worked for months on getting this decision repealed. And on March 2nd, 2009, her benefits were reinstated. But the tragedy is that on March 1st, 2009, one day earlier, Omega Young died from complications with cancer. Friends, that's a broken system. The automated system in Indiana is not actually helping people. Sure, maybe it saved a few bucks, but how many other people's lives were made substantially worse just so a few rich people could get richer? There are plenty of other systems, too, that we could talk about in our society. 
Systems that have been sinisterly designed to ensure that the wealthy and elite benefit, while the poor and vulnerable are crushed beneath the system's diabolical mechanisms. For example, there are systems in our country right now that ensure that poor black men will be incarcerated at much higher rates than anyone else. Systems like student loans and mortgages and credit cards that will promise you the American dream. You can finally afford it, only you'll be saddled with a millstone of debt around your neck for decades to come. There's the system of the prescription drug industry, an evil system that jacks up the prices of medication so that sick people will be left with incredible medical bills while a few CEOs can cash larger bonus checks. Guess what? Jesus is opposed to oppressive systems like these. If there's one thing that the Bible shows us again and again and again, it's that Jesus is going to take the side of the poor and the outcast and the beaten down members of society. Jesus spent all his time arguing and condemning the fat cats of his day. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and the Roman authorities, these were his favorite targets. The elite who controlled all the systems were the people that Jesus constantly spoke against. You don't have to take my word for it, though. We got a great passage to this effect here this morning. So let's take a look at it for ourselves. Let's look at what the good book has to say. Open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be beginning at verse 38. Um, It's in your pew Bibles. You can pull it up on your phone. If you brought your own Bible, that's great too. Mark chapter 12, verse 38. And this is a story all about the temple system that existed in that day. A system where the rich and important scribes lined their pockets with the money from poor, lowly widows. Let's see it for ourselves. Beginning at verse 38. As Jesus taught, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to have the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor at banquets. Okay, stop there. Jesus is painting a picture for us. These are the people, he says, to be weary of. They dress fancy and they sit in the good seats and they're honored at banquets and fawned over in the marketplaces. Jesus says, beware of people like this. People who are who reek of such self-importance and ego, okay? Let's keep reading. Look at verse 40 now. These scribes devour widows' houses, Jesus said, and for the sake of appearance they say long prayers. Beware of these people, for they will receive the great condemnation. They devour widows' houses, You see, Jesus here is pointing out the corrupt system that existed at that time in the temple. The scribes and the chief priests got rich by taking money that was given in the collection plate. They could afford to buy nice robes and have fancy banquets because of the gifts of poor, faithful widows. And look at what happens next. Look at what happens next. Jesus then takes a seat in the synagogue and watches this exact event unfold right before his eyes. Verse 41, look with me at verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury box and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people threw large sums into the treasury box. But a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. 
which are worth a penny. And then Jesus called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So you've got these rich, ego-driven, self-important scribes throwing money into the treasury box. And the fact that they're throwing it in, that's what the Greek word actually is there, and this is important. They're throwing it in, and this is an important detail. You see, because in those days, they didn't have paper currency, right? Like we do today, they had only coins. And so the scribes are throwing their money in the treasury box, these rich, heavy silver coins, so that it'll make a loud noise. They're throwing them in so that they'll clang and rattle about, and so that people will look up and sit at attention and say, oh, who's that giving all this money today? They're putting their money in, but just so that they can benefit from the appearance of it all. The whole temple system was set up at times like this to ensure that priests and scribes and the religious elite had the chance to look important again and again and again. And what's worse, all these loud coins that the scribes are tossing in the collection plate, most of them just went right back into their pockets. Not only that, though, but they went right back into their pockets along with the two small coins that the widow courageously tossed in as well. This is why Jesus said, beware of the scribes who devour the houses of widows. This is why, in just a few short verses after this, Jesus will say that he came to destroy the temple. Jesus came to destroy systems of oppression like these. This is not how religion should work, Jesus says. This is a corrupt enterprise built on taking advantage of those in need. True religion is what we see from the widow herself. Out of sheer devotion, out of sheer faith that God will bring her a better tomorrow, this widow gave generously from the little bit that she had. Even though she probably knew that her coin was just going to end up in that scribe's pocket, she still gave the money. That's what I call a mighty faith. Even though the whole system was broken, that widow still dragged herself to church and put her coins in the basket. She still believed that God could do something great with her meager contribution. Even though those fancy old scribes were probably just going to steal it for themselves, even though this was all the money that she had, yes, this mighty widow with a mighty faith trusted in God to do something good with her gift. Even though any logical person would have told her to save her money for something more worthy. In the same way, we see these mighty acts of faith throughout history. Small actions on the surface, but that had seismic, incredible changes for all the world. Martin Luther was seen as being very foolish. He told the Catholic Church exactly what he thought in 1517, just how corrupt and dishonest and anti-gospel they were being. And someone probably told him that this wasn't going to end well, but his mighty faith spawned the Protestant Reformation. And the church was changed for the better and forever. And in 1980, there was a mighty act of faith by Father Oscar Romero 
This was a Catholic priest in El Salvador who spoke up against the human rights violations in his country. And because of one sermon that he gave, incredible attention was drawn to that region and new life began to take shape. Change happened because of his mighty and courageous faith. And of course, how could we not mention the mighty act of faith undertaken by Rosa Louise Parks in 1955. It was a small action. The widow tossed a simple coin. Rosa Parks tossed out a simple word, no. But this mighty act of faith ignited a movement that brought about civil rights for millions of people. Small but mighty acts of faith have been changing the world for centuries, church. Jesus makes it clear it's not about the showy, flashy scribes with their long robes and long prayers. Jesus calls us to be humble and yet mighty as we live out our faith. I know that there are so many systems of oppression out there today. And they seem so big and corrupt and evil and insurmountable. But in the face of corruption like this, we must have a mighty faith like the widow. We must believe, like the widow, that our meager gift... Our small act of faith, whatever we can offer, will be capable of moving mountains in the end. I began this sermon with a quote from Dr. Martin Luther King because he was such a man, a man of mighty faith who never shied away from speaking out against the hateful and corrupt systems of his day. And King understood full well the message of the widow's might. He famously said this, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. The world needs people who will act with a mighty faith, even if they can't see the results right away. The world needs people who are willing to stand up to the unjust systems that prey upon the weak, even if nothing happens at first. We have to keep moving forward. We have to keep fighting and keep working and keep trusting that God will take whatever gift we have to offer and will use that to change the world for the better. Friends, the world seems so messed up these days. More messed up than I can ever remember. Systems that oppress and offend are growing more and more sophisticated, more and more sinister. But as Christians, we must keep the faith. We have to keep moving forward. We must continue to believe that God is in control and that God will repair all that is broken in the end. We must continue to be people of faith, doing what is right, caring for the lowly each and every day. I know that we're all dealing with a lot. Maybe there's some sort of system right now that's oppressing you. Maybe you're being treated unfairly or maybe it's something different. Maybe you lost someone close to you or you're just going through a personal period of struggle and loss. But whatever you're feeling, the truth is that wherever we're at today, whatever we might be going through, we can give that to God. I've been saying throughout this sermon that we have to have a mighty faith. And that's true. But the only reason that's true is because we believe in a mighty God. A God who is beside us in our pain. A God who is with us in our sorrow. A God who has promised to put an end to oppressive systems and unjust practices. I'm convinced, church, that even though you might not 
end, even though we might not see the end in sight, even if you think that your two coins aren't going to help at all, or if you think your phone call to the senator will just fall on deaf ears, or your small donation to the food bank won't have an impact, or your small act of kindness won't change the person's mood, or your prayer for peace and security won't be heard by the Lord, the truth is that God will still do something mighty with our small acts of faith. The widow gave two small coins, and we still talk about it today. Martin Luther, Oscar Romero, Rosa Parks, we still talk about their small acts of faith today because those small acts changed the world. So the question that we are left with, what will your mighty act of faith be? Don't overthink it. What will it be? Because even if it's just two small coins, we know that God can do something great with that. Amen.